millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 42, we discuss whether U.S. sports networks are too soft on the U.S. men's national team, what the Champions League TV schedule reveals about Fox, as well as opinions about the job that Bein Sports and ESPN did in analyzing the two recent results by the U.S. team. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. Both Kartik and I, are uh, in, we live and, and work in South Florida, so we're recording this podcast a little bit earlier this week uh, just because of the impending uh, arrival of Hurricane Irma, uh, which anyone who follows uh, Kartik through social media, you'll know that uh, he's... Uh, definitely one of the best sources actually for news about uh, the weather hurricanes updates etc uh, so it's going to be a, it's going to be a few eventful few days hopefully Kartik um, well it's it, it, it hopefully blows out into the ocean and then disappears but it's going to be a few rough days but so we wanted to kind of focus on the soccer at least and kind of uh, talk about some positives before uh, both you and I Kartik probably rush back and, and start putting up uh, shutters and start preparing for uh, the storm that's coming what do you think? Yeah, uh, exactly. I actually started preparing yesterday. Uh, started uh, clipping my hedges and uh, getting some of that out and, and trying to tie down some of my potential projectiles. Uh, though this storm is uh, is big, it's, uh, it's scary, and it's also unpredictable, and we're still five days out or four and a half days out in South Florida as we record this. So it is entirely possible the storm may not hit us, even though everybody around town is acting as if uh, uh, it's, it's a fatalistic thing. We're all going to die. So get yeah. out of town type of thing. Exactly. So so let's talk about some positives and, and, and some things that uh, are kind of uh, you know, happier thoughts, which are, which would be anything in, in regards to soccer. We'll start off, actually, we'll go back backwards this week. So I'm going to start off with uh, the Honduras-USA uh, game. Uh, we're recording this on the Wednesday. Uh, the game was played on the Tuesday night. And uh, we won't get into the U.S. Uh, performance yet, but uh, I do want to talk about the, the coverage from being sports. And um, to me, overall, I would say um, it was disappointing. It felt like a, like a B-movie. Um, it just felt very low rent, uh, and it felt like there was a disconnection between the studio and the game itself. It wasn't kind of a fluid, um, actually kind of flow in terms of, of, of the coverage. Part of the reason for that, too, is, of course, is that you have um, your commentators, uh, Phil Shane and Jovan Karofsky, 
both of which I thought did an extremely great job at, uh, you mean, commentating the game, analyzing. Uh, Jovan is um, a bit bland, to say the least. But what he says is actually uh, some good analysis. Um, he's adding some, some some criticism here and there. Um, no problems there with the, with the commentary. I have a problem, though, with the commentary, the commentary has been in Miami, as well as the entire studio uh uh, talent, and then you just have your three pitch side reporters. So you had uh, Julian G- Gonzalez, Heath Pierce, and Carmen. Uh, I, forgot, I forgot her last name uh, in San Pedro Sula at the stadium. And uh, what happened um, to me, at least? Well, if you look at the pitch side side, side of things, the pitch side uh, you had Heath Pierce that was shouting into the microphone. Uh, the the noise level was obviously pretty high there, but uh, but you had Carmen. And Julian Gonzalez were pretty calm and, and speaking kind of at a, a normal tone, normal uh, volume into the mic. But Heath Pierce kept on shouting. That was really annoying. Um, then the studio talent themselves, I thought Kevin Egan did a great job as a host. Uh, you had Carlos Bocanegra, who, was, who I was very impressed by in terms of uh, just remaining calm, uh, very confident, and some great analysis. And, and some of the good analysis he gave, for example, was talking about Bruce Arena. And uh, in terms of training over the last few weeks with the U.S. team, or last couple of weeks, he most probably went ahead and actually trained two different camps. Uh, so one team that was going to play specifically uh, against Honduras, and then another team that would be playing against uh, Costa Rica, and had those teams kind of work together independently. Uh, so, so I thought that was some, some, some good analysis. Uh, Ali Krieger was, uh, was poor, um, just very basic analysis, very... Uh, basic language, uh, you mean not much of a vocabulary there, and, and really no insight or analysis. Uh, you had uh, Jimmy Conrad, which I thought was a bit strange. I mean, I'm I'm so used to Jimmy Conrad uh, playing in a nice way, the clown, the comedian. So for him to be providing some straight analysis seemed very strange and didn't wasn't the same way that that we're used to experiencing Jimmy Conrad. His analysis was okay. But just he just seemed kind of out of place uh, in the whole setup, and then you had uh, who else was there? I think that was it. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was it in terms of the the, the talent. The other thing, Kartik too, was it was really kind of strange, just having them all stand up. So they're in the studio. Uh, it was really kind of awkward, uncomfortable for the viewer to watch these guys just uh, and, and Ali just standing up facing the camera. That was just kind of unusual. You don't see that too often. I would have much preferred to have the the typical spaceship that we have with the Bean Sports Studio and have them sit sitting in, uh, in their seats. Yeah, Ali so. Krieger had a lot of uh, an excessive amount of makeup on. Also, I mean, I yeah. maybe it's because I watched the Orlando Pride closely. And uh, by the way, those of you listening who might be Pride fans, the game has been moved because of Hurricane Irma. They're going to be playing tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night at home instead of uh, on uh, on Saturday. But um, so she has to get back to Orlando from Miami from that game from the studio work, but. Uh, she had a lot of makeup on it. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's the way they they angle their cameras or the lighting in their studio. I would be curious, but uh, I've never seen her with that sort of look, honestly. Yeah. Well, well the, the interesting thing is, to Kartik, I actually watched the Pride game. I went up to Orlando this past weekend, so I saw her playing up close. And when she was on the set for the, the Honduras USA match, I, I didn't recognize her at first, and and I think that was it. I didn't either. That's why I'm pointing it out. And yeah. then I realized, I, and I didn't. I wasn't able to watch the game as closely as you did. Uh, I had some visitors over in Irma prep and all of that. So um, 
I didn't. It took me at that in that halftime studio about two minutes before I realized who it was, and they only realized reason i realized it was her was because she's worked for them before and she now plays for orlando so it's easy to get to miami mm-hmm. yeah so so overall i was just um very uh, i guess just just disappointed with the performance of, of the talent um again i, I think uh jovan Kurowski did great as well as phil shane uh it would have been wonderful to have them in san pedro sula it's only what about an hour and a half away by plane from miami it's pretty close uh, it would be great to have have them at least in the stadium. Yeah, I, I know someone who actually got a cheap fare as a fan from Fort Lauderdale on Spirit Airlines to San Pedro Sula and went to the game last night. So hmm. uh, it, it's, it wouldn't have been that expensive. Well, I mean, it's not that expensive to send the talent, but then to send all of that other stuff, right, cameras, uh, whatever things you need for stand-up, uh, maybe that's where the complication comes in. Yeah, obviously in, the, in this regard, I mean, BN Sports was playing the, the USA card um, in terms of the talent that they selected. And, and, and again, Phil Shane and Jovan Kurowski did a great job. Kevin Egan you have as, as a host uh, who's, who's lived in the United States for a, a number of years, but uh, of course is Irish. But then the rest of the crew was um, all American. And, and I think it's one of those things that uh, Carlos Bocanegra, like I said, uh, did a great job. But rather than just putting in just Americans for the sake of putting the Americans in for a, an American game, I mean, where was, um, I don't know, you know like Ray Hudson, where was, uh, well, Thomas Rongan probably probably can't get involved now because he's a scout for the U.S. Where was Gary Bailey? Where's Gary Bailey? Yeah. Or why not bring in Janusz Michalik? Or yeah. Somebody, somebody that's a little bit... Um, better in terms of analysis and um, knows I like the, game. the choice of Jovan Karofsky as a, as a co-commentator because I, I think he's much more this is probably why Fox doesn't use him on US men's national team stuff mm. and we'll get to that later in the show but uh, even though he, he obviously works for Fox uh, he, he has a more of a, a broader perspective because he played in, in England, he played in Germany for a long time, played in Portugal I, when, when I've seen conversations with him and, and he's been asked about the US men's national team, again I didn't really get to listen to the commentary yesterday, he has had a broader perspective than the vast majority of former U.S. men's national team players. That's not a shot at any one former national team player that's a commentator now, but it's just a a, a general general statement I'm making about when I've uh, observed Karofsky in the past, he has has different perspectives, I should say. Yeah, yeah, he he was strong. He was strong. Again, it's just his, um, he's he's very much like, almost like a Brad Friedel, where he's just very monotone. Um, You're not going to get a lot of excitement out of him, but if you do listen to him and what he says, uh, he does provide good analysis. I I went ahead on Twitter last night too and asked um, the listeners to give you, uh, to to get your feedback also to see what you guys thought and we had a few comments uh, coming in uh, through a few tweets uh, rbo on twitter says uh, phil shane knows u.s soccer well from his time calling games for espn and did a great job uh, i like that uh, jovan karofsky was partnered uh, partnered with phil uh, joe gagliardi on twitter said uh, he agreed he said uh, i have a lot of time for being coverage but not having the commentators at the stadium is weak then you had uh, JT Delaney, uh, also on Twitter. He said, I-, I didn't like that Phil and Jovan uh, weren't at the stadium, but they could afford to send three sideline reporters. I think a good point there. Uh, Gordinho, uh, also on Twitter, he says, uh, you can feel that the commentators are not present live at the stadiums. Uh, Jose Martinez on Twitter said, uh, I saw it on uh, NBC Universo, and I like the commentary there. And then Steve Kelly uh, on Twitter said, uh, more excitement at a funeral parlor, 
which that 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 was kind of my overall impression in terms of this game was that uh, well the game wasn't that exciting uh you know, if you're a u.s fan towards the end you know 84th minute yes but um just the analysis and just the build-up and just the just how everything all together with the, the being just felt very what was the analysis blah. of the u.s's tactics because Look, I, I I tried to work out what Arena's thought process was coming into this game, and I think it was uh, it was in some ways, unfortunately, a throwback to the Klinsman era. Well, in many ways it was, but tactically, in where I think in a lot of cases Klinsman would set up formations to try and uh, utilize the athleticism of the United States mm-hmm. and perhaps pace out on out in wide areas, and what you have against an athletic. Uh, side like Honduras, uh, who are playing in in just this oppressive heat. That's why they schedule the game for the for for three thirty local time start time. Is that that advantage is negated, mm-hmm. and then you don't really have a plan B until you make a, sh- a shift to a three five two and bring a Bobby Wood, who's a more versatile um, man up top uh, than Jordan Morris into the match, and um, you know, maybe it changes a little, a little bit of the way you play. And you bring Jeff Cameron and go to a three man back line, but uh, I, I couldn't figure out what the U.S. was doing, honestly, tactically, and I'm wondering what the commentators said about that. Yeah, I, I missed that, unfortunately. So, so I missed the halftime coverage, and uh, I missed the post-match. But I can tell you that pre-match, there was very little analysis. Um, they had um, exclusive interviews with uh, Bruce Arena and Michael Bradley just for a couple of minutes each, just kind of saying... Not- this is why you bring in a guy like a Gary Bailey. I think he probably breaks it. He probably looks at the, the team sheet, and he can make... I've seen him do this with La Liga games, so in, in mm-hmm. the Express. So I think he could probably have asked added something absolutely uh, there was a little bit of an analysis from Carlos Bocanegra um, actually most of the analysis in this game that I saw again I didn't see halftime or post-match but most of the analysis really came from Phil Shane and Jovan Karoski uh, Jovan talking about when the, uh, the US did make those subs um, late in the game uh, who he thought was coming out how the team shape would change and who'd, who'd move into which positions um, so so that was more the, the, the most analysis I heard, and also Phil kind of uh, asking some leading questions, which was great in terms of him just trying to lead uh, Jovan Karoski along in terms of uh, giving the the viewers some, some uh, valuable feedback. But uh, that was the thing I, in my notes. I wrote Kartik um, pre-match is that the crew that they had, other than Carlos Bocanegra, I wasn't confident, even if the U.S. had a poor first half, that that a halftime that that crew would be able to, to pull apart that uh, and analyze that in, in a really intelligent I way. I think they really miss uh, Ian Joy uh, yeah. since he moved to Fox because they they the last go around when they had this uh, cycle of uh, away games for the U.S. and Mexico they were able to tap into Ian Joy and uh, Gary Bailey at the end of that cycle. Uh, uh, Bodo was with them at the time. They they uh, Bodo's still with them I think, but he does more Spanish language stuff. Uh, they were able to kind of tap into the expertise of uh, of these guys and now maybe they um they've copied the fox model i i don't know it, it's it seems to be that strange. way especially with the kind of the the very u.s focus um which which to me at the end of the day i'm just looking for whoever's best available uh, to you uh i mean to be in sports rather than just picking people because they're american um, and it's odd in South Florida, right? They're they're in Miami, so there is such a large large Honduran community in South Florida, and there are people in the soccer media here in South Florida. I'm not going to name names, uh, but BN knows who these people are that are Honduran. Mm-hmm. 
They could have tapped one of those people to come yeah. in. Yeah. Well, the one name I was surprised that uh, wasn't used was uh, Carlos Ruiz because they they signed him. They announced the signing of yeah. him. Like, he's, he's Guatemalan, but, but uh, right. what, several right. months ago, as a uh, a BN Sports. Um, no one knows Concacaf better than him. He's right. uh, one of the all time leading goal scorers in this region. So yeah, it seems like that would be a good use of uh, talent of personnel. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, BN Sports can learn some lessons from this one in terms of what worked and what didn't work. Uh, of course, they're going to have a lot more coverage coming up with a lot more of the, the World Cup qualifiers uh, between now and, and um, early December. The one thing I do want to add, Kartik, on this one before we move on to talk about the um, USA-Costa Rica game is that uh, Fubo exploded on this one, and, and not in a good way. Uh, it crashed. So uh, actually, the first maybe first five minutes of the game I was watching on Fubo, and then the quality of the stream got really, really blurry, blurry. And then, and then I switched to, uh, to Sling TV, and the quality was great. And then um, didn't go back to Fubo. Uh, went, you know, I think, halftime, maybe I checked Twitter and saw that uh, there was a ton of people complaining that, that Fubo had crashed. Um, but then I actually had a, a head to my daughter's soccer practice, so I caught the last 10 minutes. And I was able to catch that on Fubo, on the I app. caught the last 10 minutes as well on Fubo. Uh, so, uh, as I said, we had uh, visitors over, some visitors from London, uh, and, uh, and uh, family getting ready for Irma. The last 10 minutes, uh, I actually flipped on Fubo and saw Bobby Wood's goal on being on Fubo without the commentary. I kept it because I was in the crowd of people, right? So I kept sure. the phone uh, on mute. But uh, I, the quality was fine for me on my uh, iOS device after, but I again it was like the 79th minute. I yeah. I logged on to Fubo uh, because at my parents' house where I was, we, we actually had a they had the end, so we were watching on the television, and then I uh, we moved to the to the dining room, so I I threw on Fubo. Yeah, and it was I, fine. It was fine for me. And yeah, and there were issues. I think uh, Go Go Ninety had issues. Um, I had reports. Of, I heard Go Ninety had serious issues. Yeah, BN Sports Connect also I, I heard had some issues too. So a lot of people having issues. Um, Sling worked fine for me, so I was able to um, watch the game. And then, like, like I said, the last ten minutes on the Fubo app uh, as I was uh, traveling. So Kartik, um let's kind of talk now about the USA Costa Rica game. Um, <laughs> There's so okay. much. To, there's so much to talk about on this one. Uh, let me have you you, you you lead off in terms of uh, uh, how many how many hours do we have? Uh, <laughs> look, uh, there's just a, a lot here. This U.S. Costa Rica game. I, I think um, you you can look at it from two perspectives. One, if the game had been on Fox there would have been, I, I think, a different narrative, which would have been about the referees, about maybe the cynical fouling on P- Pulisic, and although that was a little bit cynical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of uh, Casey Keller comment, which is, well, that happens in CONCACAF. Why don't you have someone else that mixes it up? Uh, the U.S. doesn't have Jermaine Jones anymore. So uh, that, that sort of thing. And there's no Chris Armis, et cetera, on, on this, this team, Ricardo Clark, et cetera. I think the narrative was very different. Thankfully, this game was on ESPN and not Fox because Fox, I think, would have whitewashed the result uh, and would have whitewashed what happened during the course of the match and would have created a a, a different narrative. Uh, Ian Dark, thankfully, set the tone where even before Costa Rica gets that first goal, he is he is leading Taylor Twelman in the commentary talking about how poorly the U.S. is set up, how poorly they're playing, kind of how naive they are, the way they're they're they're, they're distributing the ball out of the back, and um, 
I, I think that that set the tone for the broadcast. You also have Casey Keller, who we don't talk a lot about on the show because we, we don't see him a lot. But mm-hmm. Casey Keller, I know, is a is a, a player, a former player who has uh, who is immensely disliked by some uh, of those uh, people who are very favorable towards U.S. soccer and the Seattle Sounders because they think he's too critical. They think he's too uh, uh, he, he says too many negative things about both the Sounders and Major League Soccer and actually by extension the U.S. Men's National Team program. He was the perfect guy to have this game in the studio or uh, pitch side studio and then uh, the next several days on ES- the ESPN FC show gave a U.S. perspective that was not uh, national team USSF in and MLS propaganda. Right understands the region and was able to give the kind of analysis that I actually wish his his uh, his competitor, former, and now he's a competitor at another network, uh, Brad Friedel, goalkeeper uh, Brad Friedel would be able to give because Friedel, like Keller, had a long and uh, successful career playing in Europe. But it does it seems like Friedel doesn't want to give the level of Criti- critical analysis that Keller does. So I thought that was a really good get by ESPN. Hercules Gomez, as always, was was pretty strong. Um, my one, um, my one real negative takeaway from this game, and look, it's already been all over Twitter. So <laughs> Taylor Twelman knows how I feel about his. Uh, he and I interacted and, and went back and forth pretty aggressively on Saturday. And I, I, to me, he's the very best American com- co-commentator we have. So. Uh, there are, but no one is perfect, right? And and I think that he, I, I don't know why, but he made such an issue out of the Costa Rican fans at Red Bull Arena, creating yep. a narrative that I think lasted through Saturday and Sunday, which basically said the U.S. The US Soccer Federation should have had the game in another place where they're not selling this many tickets to Costa Ricans. Now, first of all, let me just point this out. Costa Rica is not Mexico. They're not Honduras. They're not El Salvador. There are not that many Costa Ricans in the U.S. There are probably more Americans in Costa Rica than Costa Ricans in the U.S. It's a politically stable country. It's a peaceful country, and it's a country whose economy Economy is more advanced than the than the nations around it in that region, so they don't have that many expats in the U.S. I there were a lot of Costa Rican fans uh, there, more than would be in Columbus or Salt Lake City or someplace. New York, every, it's New York, right, or New Jersey, it's a New York area. Right. They were not, from what I have been told by several people who were at the game at Red Bull Arena, they were not dominating the. Um, the ambiance of the of the facility until Costa Rica scored that first goal. Mm-hmm. So it was still a 75-25 or 80-20 audience. It was not like Twelman and I talked about the game in our Twitter interaction in Chicago in 2009 when the U.S. played Honduras, and I think the majority of fans were Honduran fans. That was a qualifier. Yeah. And the U.S. had a hard time, and they got through that game. They came from behind to win that. But this was not the same circumstance. But what it did, and I know Taylor Twelman didn't intend this because he is as critical as, as, as anyone of the program, it's created a bulk work and a, and a litany of excuses for American soccer journalists and MLS supporters who don't want to drill deeper and give critical analysis with Bruce Arena as the manager and with a, a team that is predominantly featuring in Major League Soccer. Although the Costa Rica game, there were a few, a few more European-based players. And strangely enough, 
those were the players who got the most of the blame from from the, the, this set of, of writers and, and fans. Yeah, uh, just, just to finish up on this, I think it's also important to note that the, the, that narrative allowed us to not have the conversation about Arena that we were constantly having about Klinsman after U.S. losses under Klinsman. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, I agree with most of what you've said there, too. I mean, I, I do think that uh, Tolman screwed up on this one. Um, it wasn't intentional. It was one of those things he probably, maybe he regrets a little bit in terms of this being the, the talking point from this game, this being the main narrative. And it was one of those things that um, I, th- I think it's okay to mention during the match. And I think Ian Dark might have mentioned mentioned it too in terms of... Uh, and it was really hard to tell at, at times too. This is red, white, and blue, Costa Rica, uh, you know, the flag and, and the colors. Yeah. So, But it was definitely uh, a lot of... Oh, Twelman to his credit in, in the Twitter interaction with me and, and, and the ensuing kind of battle, um, if you want to call it that, it conceded the U.S. were beaten by a better team. That's what happened. Right, but, but so many who took that, that argument won't concede that. That's my problem. It's not, right. it's not necessarily with how Twelman articulated it's with what happened after but by focusing on the the stadium and focusing on why u.s played there um that shouldn't have been the talking point that shouldn't have been the narrative the narrative and, and, and what 12 12 does best is focusing analytically on you mean what the u.s did wrong and actually in this game to me really as a viewer uh, it was what Costa Rica did right. I mean, it was just a flawless plan in terms of the way they set up, kept their shape. Uh, you mean everything? Everything about the, the way that Costa Rica played was um, so perfect, and the U.S. seemed to be very unprepared. Um, and you mean almost everything that they did seemed to go, seemed to go wrong in this match. But yeah. uh, but that that should have been the talking point, and I think that's where Tolman's mistake was: is that. Um, he and Ian Dark focused a little bit too much on the venue and the U.S. soccer uh, side of things, which I'm sure they didn't uh, think that that would be the the, t- the takeaway, and it was. And it, and I think they really kind of need to go back to what they do best, which is analyze, analyzing the game in front of them. I mean, it to me at least, you can play anywhere in the U.S., and for the most part, it's going to be an away game, other than maybe Columbus and maybe some, I don't know, I don't know Utah or, some, or some, something, but well, not even Utah. But you I mean that should not be the focus. The focus should be what's happening on the pitch, not off it. And 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 Kartik, you said it meant, went on for five days. It went it went on for longer than that. It went all the way through till till Tuesday. I think I think it was like almost like six days. It seemed to go on. And and I'm sure too. If we look on Twitter right now, there's still people talking about the venue being being an issue. So. So I think ESPN did do a really good job, though. I thought uh, Twelman, especially um, on on Costa Rica's first goal, uh, where he honed in on criticizing Jeff Cameron and Tim Ream for just leave, leaving so much space, um, kind of right um, down the centre back uh, uh, pairing there, down that space. I think that was well done. But then um, the whole venue thing was just um, they shouldn't have really even gone there, or, or just mentioned it in passing, but don't don't focus on it as an issue. So anything else from this one, Kartik, before we move on to talking about what else we've been watching this past uh, week? Um, yeah, I mean, I've watched a lot of European qualifiers, right? Um, including a, a, an outstanding game between Northern Ireland and Czech Republic. It's amazing what Michael O'Neill's done with that team. I watched the uh, Czech Republic, actually. I, it's not that I followed. <laughs> I just happened to play Germany and Northern Ireland, two, two national sides I do follow uh, back-to-back. And uh, that was a... Uh, uh, a a, a whitewash of a game that was okay and then i i also uh obviously 
going back a few days, watch the ESPN FC deadline day schedule uh, special and the NBC Sports deadline day special. And I think those were both uh, well done. The NBC Sports deadline day special showed uh, if you get a longer form show where you're analyzing teams as a whole and not just uh, quick events, how good Martino, Earl and Musto could be. And all three of them were together for, for uh, this show, which we don't normally have with NBC. It's, it's, yeah. it's two of the three, right? I, th- I thought it was fantastic. I mean, to, to the point yeah. where I have actually saved the show on my DVR because I want to watch it again in a, in, in a few weeks. <laughs> they, wow. I, I think there was such good analysis, uh, particularly by Martino, but also by Earl and Musto of every of all 20 teams that I feel like it's this kind of benchmark uh, program that you're probably going to want to keep referring back to. So I haven't deleted it from my DVR. It was I, that good. I thought it was horrible. I, and and I, yeah, awful. Well, was it because it wasn't about transfers and it was well, more about, it was like gossip. I mean, so, so at one segment and actually I took a, I took a screenshot and I think I lost it, but I took a screenshot at one moment because they were just uh, gossiping. They were saying, okay, Oh my gosh, did you hear about what happened with Ross Barkley? And he, he was having a medical, and then he he decided to change his mind right in the middle of a, of a medical, and all of them had their the mouths wide open, like oh my gosh, did you hear that? And so much of it was based on on rumors. I mean, I mean, there's different reports about whether or not that even happened. Most of the reports say that it didn't happen. But when you have something that's so fluid that's happening, you know, in the moment, and and, and you're hearing reports from the UK. Uh, I, I think the, where there's very little analysis or very little actually reporting, it's more just discussing about how bad uh, Arsenal w- uh, was in this transfer window and this, that, and the other. And so much of it was focused on the big teams. That you mean, I think, I, I think for the first like 90 minutes, it was focused on basically the top four, maybe not even the top four. It might have been just Arsenal, Man United, and and, and maybe uh, Chelsea. That uh, for fans of the other teams, myself included. I switched it off after an hour and a half. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be waiting another hour and a half to have, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of, of coverage about Swansea. And, and to me, Swansea was the, one of the biggest uh, news items in the, that whole entire transfer window. So, I don't know, to me, that, that show, it's, it seems to be a waste for three hours to have to be talking about a transfer deadline day where not that much actually even happened. Uh, and for it to be a gossip fest and so focused on 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 the top four, top five, or top six, I, I just I, but, but, I but, but, they but did that, well talking about uh, Newcastle and, and Brighton and Huddersfield, etc. Okay, I, I didn't get that far. I mean, I switched it off, and, and then part of it too was they I, went, I was burnt they went out. Pretty much in order. I, that I'll give you. So if you watch the first hour, hour and a half, you thought they were just talking about uh, teams one through seven, right? Teams uh, of Man City, Man United through Everton. But they spent a lot of time on West Ham. Uh, they spent a lot of time on Stoke later later in the show, and they actually it to me was their preseason preview or their uh, their yeah. season preview that uh, I thought was so poorly executed the, week, the day of the Arsenal Leicester game they they uh, they got a mulligan for that and and to me they kind of uh, they they hit in the hole this time yeah and, and again part of it too is I was I was burned out so I had been watching uh, Sky Sports transfer deadline day on Twitter I mean pretty much all day long from uh, I think about seven or eight in the morning and, and and now you know 12 hours later then you've got three hours of NBC's uh, kind of focus on it and, and for those people that missed 
um, the main stories of the day, or maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I didn't check the TV ratings to see how well it did or how well it didn't do, but I just thought it was a waste. And, and I thought, I mean, it's something that um, maybe three years ago it would have been a big deal with uh, all the, the massive signings on the last day, but um, see, it just seems to be that transfer deadline days recently, the last couple of years, have been uh, uh, anti-climatic, to, to say the least. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then the the other thing I, I would say I watched was uh, the France-Netherlands game, where, where I thought Adrian Healy and Paul Mariner were very good. We don't hear much of Paul Mariner in the U.S. as a co-commentator. I know he does a lot of the feeds for the Caribbean and Asia, etc. cetera. Uh, he was, I thought, very good, and it was a good call. It was just... <laughs> it was just a horrible game, and yeah. you kind of see, uh, uh, from my perspective, poor Dick Advocat. He was this legendary manager. He's come out of retirement to try and rescue his nation. This is the third time he's managed the Dutch uh, World Cup hopes, and he's got nothing to work with. It's just uh, a shambles there. How is Adrian Healy so much better uh, when he's not doing an MLS not all game? US games, or MLS, oh, games, MLS right? games. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I, I watched this one too, and I was like, okay, yeah, actually, he's he's good. He's good with Paul Marino, and I think that, that indicates to us that maybe there is a certain degree of, uh, although it doesn't apply to Taylor Twelman because Taylor Twelman's good. Yeah. MLS games, good. U.S. games, good. Euro games. But for Healy, he seems to take, I don't want to say he takes his foot off the pedal. He's more con- uh, conscious of how he, what he says and yeah. being critical. Uh, maybe just leaves it to Twelman. I, I don't know, but it's it's very obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it seems to be very conversational, more so when he does MLS games, but also very robotic, where he's saying yeah. all the right things. And he's just calling the game, and that's it. He's right. not actually giving any level of, of uh, critical analysis or leading his co-commentator into into uh, analysis. To the point where there are times Twelman will, um, will say, hey, Adrian, did you see that? I mean, what do you think? Type of thing. I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. been those sorts of interactions between them. So some of the other games I watched, Kartik, I uh, watched uh, Chile against Paraguay. I watched the first 20 minutes of that. And then oh, I... wow. That was, uh, that was a stunner. And then I switched it over. Cause I, cause it, and that's the thing that sucks about uh, Conmobil is a lot of these games overlap. So they don't, they don't have staggered starts. So Chile, Paraguay for 20 minutes. And then I switched to Uruguay against uh, Argentina, which was uh, commentary by uh, Gina Fuentes and uh, George Metellus on, on being sports. And this one was such a, a boring, uneventful, nil-nil physical game. I mean, it was really... I mean, the, the one thing about this game was that it just shows you how lenient the refereeing is in terms of some of these fouls that were committed that would have been straight yellow cards easily, but it, they, all the referee would give was a free kick. So Messi got completely rough-ended in this match. Uh, not just this match. I think all of the, the comparable qualifying seems to get the, the, the rough treatment. Yeah, and I think I watched this match also, and I, I think a lot of us have an expectation because Sampoli is coming in, and we know the kind of football he likes to play, the football Chile played, the football Sevilla played. So it was such a disappointment to see Argentina just bogged down. But that, a lot of that had to do with the the hacking, the hack yep. messy, if you want to call it that, coming from Uruguay. Uh, but it, I, I thought uh, Gino and George, both of whom I know, so I'm calling them by their first names, and uh, both of whom I've worked with, actually, not just know, I've worked with, uh, mm-hmm. had a very good game, uh, given everything. Yeah, and then I watched, uh, like you did, too, uh, the Czech uh, Republic uh, Germany game, 
and I watched, I think, the first four minutes until Germany scored, and I was like, ah, I'm done, because this, this looks like it's going to be a pretty one-way street. It, actually, it didn't end up being that way, but uh, I switched it over to Denmark against Poland on FS2, and what a good game this was. I mean, it was Denmark completely ripped Poland apart. Um, they won the match 4-0, but just a really entertaining match to watch. And, uh, and then also a, f- a few days later, on the Tuesday, then I watched... Um, actually, no, no, this was on the... On the Sunday or Saturday, I watched uh, Wales against Austria, watched that one on ESPN3, um, and then because I'm a cord cutter, I was able to watch it through Sling Orange, which you can get ESPN3 through there. Uh, I was in a hotel in Orlando, uh, going up there for the Pride game, and uh, saw Wales win that one, so it was a great performance and a great goal by uh, Ben Woodburn for Liverpool. I uh, watched England-Slovakia, uh, and then Moldova against Wales, another win for Wales. And I think that's about it, Kartik, for uh, yeah, this I, past week. Yeah, I watched um, Ukraine-Iceland uh, well, in between all this hurricane stuff on, on Tuesday. And that, that match, the result of that match and the match with Turkey-Croatia, we knew that was going to be the group of death in European qualifying. But I think all four could still go up. Uh, automatically go, go up. Excuse me, I'm thinking of championship <laughs> going to the Premier League. Could qualify for the World Cup automatically. All four could end up in the playoffs, or all four could miss the World Cup. So uh, that that being the group of death has certainly happened, uh, have played out. Croatia, Iceland, Ukraine, Turkey. At best, only two of those te- uh, nations will be in the World Cup. And the way they played, um, maybe all four deserve to be in it, which is why we're getting an expanded World Cup. But um, I don't think we need any more CONCACAF countries in the World Cup. I, so, you know, it's it's uh, that's a discussion for another day. I, I would like to see more European and South American countries in a World Cup, but not more CONCACAF countries. Yeah, we might get to that, actually, in the feature topic segment. I got uh, a little bit on that uh, a little bit later. Okay, let's move on to TV streaming news, Kartik, and uh, let me have you kick it off. Yeah, of some uh, news we knew that was coming, we've thought it's been coming for, for years, and it's finally happened. John, John Motson, Motti, has announced this will be his final season as a commentator for, the BB, for BBC Sport. Uh, he will not be retiring, however, so he won't be with BBC Sport any, any longer, but uh, we could see Motti pop up in various places. Uh, he's had 50 years now with the BBC. He's done 200 England games. Uh, that includes England games in, in major competitions, World Cups and Euros. Uh, he's called 29 FA Cup finals, 10 World Cups and 10 Euros. And I believe of those World Cups, he's called the final most of the time. Uh, he, uh, I've read Motti's autobiography and he actually was, uh, uh, there's internal competition to the BBC. He lost the 94 final and was able to regain it for 98 and called the the, the final uh, at uh, in in France Brazil uh, France final and he talks at length about um, even the pregame for that match if you're interested in just how uh, commentators get information Ronaldo not uh, Cristiano Ronaldo the Brazilian Ronaldo uh, there was no idea whether he was going to play and there were rumors circulating around the stadium uh, and around the town for, for hours before the game and Madi kind of captures that and encapsulates how commentators prepare for matches particularly when there's so much uncertainty around star player so I, mm-hmm. I, I recommend that autobiography for anyone who's interested yeah those those numbers are just uh i mean hugely impressive in terms of the, the number of games he's covered but uh, i mean 10 world cups i mean that, that just goes to show you 
how long he's been around, but also at the top of his game. And, and this season, he'll continue to do the uh, BBC Match of the Day, some commentaries here and there. After he retires from the BBC, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, if he'll do an occasional match, perhaps for, who knows, ITV or, or, or some other channel, um, or maybe maybe, maybe go, go abroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite possible. Um, not a lot of news this week, but uh, one more news item, and that is that um, we've uh, uncovered what the TV schedule is going to be for the first game week of the UEFA Champions League on US TV. So that's coming up uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, as well as Europa League on on, um, on next Thursday. And not surprisingly, Fox Sports has again gone for a very heavy Premier League uh, focus in, in terms of the choices of the games that they're going to select to be on FS1. So, for example, on Tuesday's um, match day, the biggest match to me is Barcelona against Juventus. Uh, that is on FS2. Uh, instead, Fox went ahead and put uh, Manchester United against Basel on FS1. And then the same thing, well, actually, to a lesser extent, on the Wednesday, um, depending on which you, which way you look at it, there's actually a lot of uh, really good matches on the Wednesday. But FS1 is going to show uh, Dortmund against Spurs um, instead of uh, Real Madrid against Apoel. And the Real Madrid game is on FS2. Uh, the Liverpool game against Sevilla is going to be on uh, Fox Sports Net. Um, and in addition to those games, too, there's going to be um, some of the games going to be on ESPN Deportes, uh, ESPN3, uh, Fox Deportes, uh, so on and so forth. So we have the complete schedule at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. But uh, Kartik, are you surprised uh, at all by Fox's continuing uh, uh, continuation? No. No. no, I think I think they they're in a position where whenever they can show English teams, they, they tend to show it even though they don't have the rights to the Premier League anymore. They know what drives uh, coverage. Yeah, but Barcelona, Real Madrid, you would think that those teams would generate higher numbers than uh, the yeah, Premier Yeah, but the Barca-Juve game, if it had been up against Dortmund-Spurs, I think they might have done, oh, well, the Dortmund-Spurs game may also be because of Pulisic. So, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I mean, it's been this way for years with Fox, even going back to the Fox Soccer Channel. I mean, they've always put the Premier League uh, teams in first place in terms of the selection, first choice. Um, I'm just and this- also Premier League teams tend to tend to struggle more in Europe and create more competitive matches, whereas <laughs> uh, Madrid and Barcelona don't. Let's That's be true. honest about it. That's true. At Dortmund, you want to also show not just because of, um, uh, of Pulisic, but because they're open, entertaining, and exciting. They score a lot of goals. They create a lot of chances. They also concede a lot of goals. Concede, mm-hmm. concede a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And a Europa League, too. So Fox went with a heavy Premier League focus, too. So on the Thursday, uh, it's the uh, Liverpool... Actually, I'm sorry. Everton's match... Uh, against I think Atalanta is on is on FS2 and then uh, nothing on FS1 but then the 305 game uh, Eastern time is Arsenal against Cologne so um, and then and then again uh, ESPN and, and other broadcasters are picking up some of those other games and we've got that schedule too at worldsoccertalk.com let's move on to TV ratings not a lot to talk about here Kartik because of the holiday uh, Labor Day on Monday and these numbers are still coming in so we'll have these uh, on worldsoccertalk.com probably the full numbers on Friday but uh, just, to, just to throw out some numbers there uh, USA against Costa Rica game on ESPN that had uh, just over a million uh, 1.069 million people watching that game on a, on a Friday which is pretty de- decent um, yeah, on a Friday night at the start of a holiday weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. And then you had uh, Netherlands against Bulgaria, uh, ESPN2. That had 373,000, 
which I'm surprised by that, Kartik. You, you would think that there's not a lot of Dutch or Bulgarians in the United States, but uh, it's a World Cup qualifier, and, and the Dutch aren't doing that great anyway. Yeah, but I don't know if there was a college football lead-in or... I'm not sure. Yeah, and then we had Spain against Italy. Uh, we don't have the English numbers on this one, but uh, Fox Supporters uh, showed that one and had uh, 316,000 viewers. You, you can add one to, to that for me because I obviously watched that game, as I mentioned, and was incredibly disappointed. I mean, in fact, uh, I don't like international breaks. I don't really like international football compared to club football. This was the one game I had circled on my calendar. Okay, you cannot miss this game. Uh, and it was uh, a dot. I mean, it was great to watch Spain, mm-hmm. but... Uh, once Boy, the gap in class was not what I expected. Yeah. And then last but not least, uh, Portugal against Hungary. Actually, it's Hungary against Portugal. Um, that one was 153,000 people watched that one on Fox Deportes um, on Sunday. And again, we don't have the English numbers quite yet. So moving on, Kartik, to the listener mailbag. And uh, we have one um, message that came in. Um, this one through Facebook from Raymond Orozco. And he says, uh, I'd just like to give a lot of credit to Costa Rica. I think some soccer journalists are underselling what a huge performance uh, Costa Rica gave. There was too much nonsense about the stadium situation. U.S. fans just like to, to complain. Other countries have similar scenarios as well when England plays Scot- against Scotland and there are tons of Scottish fans at Wembley. And when Germany played Turkey two years ago, they had a similar mix of crowd. And I think Shaka Hislop is 100% correct regarding this team being the worst in 20 years. Uh, in 2002, the U.S. had Friedel, Donovan, Rayner, McBride, O'Brien, Sana, and Demarcus, just to name a few. What do you think, Kartik? Uh, preach on, Raymond. <laughs> I agree with every word you put in there. Uh, I've made those same co- points about those same players in 2002. I even throw in uh, some some of the uh, other guys on, on that 2002 team beyond uh, Johnny O and, and, and Claudia Reyna and, and uh, Brian McBride. I think those are the three really obvious ones, right, um, that the U.S. has not replaced. The U.S. doesn't have uh, any players at the level of those three guys. Uh, and uh, Donovan and Beasley uh, were – Obviously, DeMarcus Beasley still starting for the U.S., started for the U.S. last night at 35 or however old he is now. I, I think uh, when you talk about uh, the crowd, it is just a canard. It is, a, it is an absolute dodge. And here's the other thing. I think other than Mexico, who U.S. Uh, soccer writers tend to study somewhat obsessively, maybe it's also because we have so many Mexican-Americans in this country that, that follow uh, Liga Mekis, et cetera, they don't really know much about other CONCACAF nations. So this has been a bugaboo of mine for years that when the U.S. would play Honduras in 2009 or 2013 and Honduras was in their kind of golden generation of players, there didn't seem to be any analysis of the fact that Honduras had David Suazo missing or Rambo was injured or, or uh, whatever the case would be. Uh, and I think that's the case with Costa Rica. You look player for player, Costa Rica versus the United States, there is no comparison. Yeah, right? Costa Rica Costa Rica is miles better. Um, the, 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 the reality of the situation is other than that 2002 team where you had outstanding players like Reina, McBride, Johnny O, Lionel Donovan, you had um, Johnny O, by the way, is John O'Brien, for those who don't know my colloquialisms. The U.S. has tended to punch above their weight in terms of the kind of player quality they have mm-hmm. uh, historically. They're not doing that anymore. They're now back to where they should be based on their player quality, and I don't think that there's the level of analysis or understanding of this that uh, there needs to be among American soccer journalists. We'll get more into this in our feature topic of the week but i yeah. think that there's a lot of um uh, uh i don't I, there's just a lot of 
lot of disappointments I'm having with the people who cover soccer in this country that have become apparent to me in the last six to 12 months. So, so that leads perfectly, actually, into our feature topic of the week. So uh, th- let's talk about it. And, and Kartik, I mean, the, the analysis out there, so if, from Fox as one example, or oh, yeah, be in sports too, I don't think you, you're, you're going to get that amount of critical analysis where somebody's going to stand up and say, um, I think that this is the worst U.S. national team in, in, in 20 years. What, like Shaka Hislop said um, on ESPN, and I, I believe too. I agree with you too, Kartik, and I believe uh, I agree with uh, Shaka Hislop uh, that the current U.S. squad uh, is is far from the greatest at all. And uh, we had not even close. Well, we, even... there was an interesting conversation, uh, and uh, we posted this on Twitter. You sent it to me, Kartik, too, and it was uh, ESPN FC where they had um, Craig Burley, Hercules Gomez. Uh, Casey Keller and Dan Thomas and Steve Nichol, Steve Nichol. Yeah. And, they, and they were debating um, well the U.S. Costa Rica game and, and having an analysis about. Uh, I mean, Burley kind of focused, uh, really zeroed in on whether this U.S. team is a good team or a mediocre team, and based on kind of uh, people's opinion about answer to that opinion to that, then he went in on on okay, well the, the way that Concacaf is set up and with the U.S. they could end up in fourth but still actually qualify for, for this World Cup. Um, and all you have to do is just do better than Panama and do better than uh, Honduras. Oh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Trinidad. Uh, was it ranked number 73 and number 85 or something like that? And, and Hercules Gomez got really, really upset about this. So it was a great debate. I mean, kind of back and forth between the two. Hercules was a little bit more defensive, kind of trying to protect the U.S., in my opinion. Uh, and Burley was going all out in terms of just as a critical analysis, saying in terms of this team not being good at all. Um, but it does lead into our topic of the, of the week, which is focusing. But, but also got into, I think, a fundamental thing here, which we need to discuss. Uh, and people misinterpreted a lot in a lot of cases my criticisms of Jurgen Klinsmann because I think he was a terrible man manager, bad tactically. But uh, Burley said, started off his his rant by saying, "Oh, the, for the U.S. soccer media, it's been blame the German American players or blame Jurgen Klinsmann. That's always been, that's been the mantra. Right. That's been the fallback position for the last six years. Now that they don't have that, they have to get a new boogeyman, which which is the venue." Which is kind of, uh, I mean, Twelman kind of fed into that by uh, hit by his mistake, really fed into that in terms of that being now like the latest thing that everyone's talking about. That's the excuse. And and that was the, the title of that, that uh, episode or that, that kind of segment on ESPN FC was, uh, you mean, that, that, that there's there's too many excuses that there's, you mean, what's, what's the, ne- the next excuse in terms of U.S.'s performance? But, but, but the featured topic of the week is really kind of focused on in terms of uh, discussing whether the U.S. soccer audience is receptive to that type of critical analysis, whether it's on ESPN or Fox or BN Sports or any, anywhere else, and, and the impact it has on TV ratings. Historically speaking, Kartik, um, the U.S. soccer media, um, and as a result, too, I think the, the U.S. soccer audience, um, most of coverage has been very positive. Um, there's very little, very critical or negative kind of focus it's more kind of uh been been very positive kind of uh, you mean just just focusing game by game the u.s will get through this don't worry everything will be okay and and then we kind of forget about it and then and then fox goes into their rah-rah usa i mean usa qualifies for for the world cup uh in a playoff match beating australia or syria or whoever it is but but the question is is whether or not 
you think um, the, the U.S. soccer audience... Yeah, they dodged a major bullet by South Korea not falling to that playoff because I was thinking if the U.S. somehow ended up against uh, South Korea, there could only be one winner. That right. would be South Korea, unless there were a red card or something funny happens. But, but, but do, you think, I mean, do you think the U.S. soccer audience is... Um, Kind of would be receptive to more critical analysis. No, they're not. They're not. And in fact, this I've I've now people can say I'm being a coward and whatever. And I've seen some people say that. And I uh, I tend to wear my heart on my sleeves on Twitter. So I this tells you how extreme the U.S. men's national team fan base is. Uh, I have a policy now for about six months that I won't tweet during U.S. games. And you know, those of you who follow me have seen it the last two games this week because U.S. fans are so irrational and are so um, unwilling to accept the, the, the kind of very basic critiques, I think, fans of, of most club teams around the world and most um, national teams around the world are, are willing to accept. And, and again, I think that there are some very sophisticated U.S. men's national team fans, but the ones on Twitter during games and the ones who really kind of are, 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 are spoon-fed information by Fox and by certain members of the media, certain writers who cover the U.S. men's national team and cover Major League Soccer, uh, it is a very positive, cheery narrative. Either we're, we're always making progress, we're always getting better, we're always closing the gap with Mexico, we're always closing the gap with the top European countries, and when things don't go our way, it's because the referees weren't good, the conditions weren't good. Oh, we never should have hired this German coach. You know, these German Americans, they're not committed to, to the United States. They're not really American. So if we just had American players instead, we'd be better off. Uh, we don't need guys who speak German in the team. You know, there, there, there's these, there are these consistent fallback positions. And there is a large percentage of the fan base, and they're very vocal, that buy into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't know if... The, the, the commentators on Fox, uh, the, comment, the, the, the soccer writers, we'll get a little bit more into the soccer writers in a minute. I don't know if they necessarily believe what they're saying or they know what, what the audience wants to hear and they're feeding that narrative. It's almost worse if it's the latter. Yeah, I think it depends. It's a case-by-case situation. I think, um, I mean, you could take, I don't want to go through names, but you could take certain people and it, it's definitely an act. Others, I think they're being um, honest and, and providing their honest feedback. Um, but in many ways, it's, diff- it's a difficult road to, to navigate because, I mean, look at Fox Sports. I mean, they have the rights to the, the World Cup, I mean, all, all the way through to 2026. Um, so in many ways, they have to be pro-USA. Well, they don't have to be. They are very pro-Ra-Ra-USA. Um, and they've backed off on being critical or negative about the U.S. men's national team. And I think in many ways, because it's self-serving. So their perspective is is that, number one, they want to protect their access to the U.S. coach and players because, uh, I mean, if they're being too critical or too negative, there's a chance that perhaps they won't, might not get those one-on-one interviews with Bruce Arena um, or whoever it may be. So, that, so that's, that's one thing. But I think the second thing, though, too, is that um, by having a very rah-rah USA uh, Go Team America, uh, it definitely helps with the TV ratings. And if their focus, their analysis is uh, more critical, more negative, more realistic, uh, should I say, uh, I think it's going to actually turn some viewers off, more your mainstream fans that just watch uh, yeah, no, I hear, that. I hear that from American fans who I t- I've told, hey, watch ESPN FC. Oh, Shaka Hislop hates the U.S. because he played for Trinidad and Burley just hates hates Americans. No, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. OK, not at all. In fact, I think Shaka knows more about this region than any of the guys on Fox. But that's that's a whole nother issue. Uh, 
but that's the reaction. That's the yeah. reaction I get from some of these people. And and that's the thing, though, too. When Fox does uh, cover games with, with the U.S. men's national national team, the person that's the person that's probably I respect the most in terms of providing some honest feedback or some realistic feedback uh, or analysis is Fernando Fiore, because oftentimes you have I mean you have Rob Stone who's in the tank for the U.S. You have I mean Alexi Lalas who's in the tank for the U.S. Uh, Winalda, who may not even be there because they don't want him to be involved in, in, in those types of discussions. Or you have Brad Friedel or, or Stuart Holden. I mean, and they're all in the tank for the U.S. And Fernando Fiore is kind of oftentimes the one guy who stands up and says, no, I, I mean, the U.S. play poorly. I mean, yes, I want the U.S. to win, but they need to improve. Um, and, and, and that's the thing, too, in terms of the World Cup coverage is that um, – I think in many ways is that Fox believes that they have to be positive because they have to play the game, keep their access, keep all uh, you mean all this uh, lovely um, discussions and conversations and, and networking with, within the U.S. soccer um, system, keep everyone friendly, don't create any enemies. But at the end of the day, the biggest reason is to you mean create a very rah-rah USA because that's going to sell TV ratings, that's going to sell advertising, that's going to get people tuning in to watch these matches rather than being a very kind of analytical or critical where it's a downer. It's, it's depressing sometimes watching this U.S. national team. And we've been there through Klinsman's years of some of these games being like really, really uh, almost too awful to watch in terms of the performance being getting ripped apart. So that, that is part of it. I will tell you another part of it is that there is a general insecurity among U.S. people who work in, in U.S. soccer, people in the Federation, uh, people in the U.S. soccer media about the popularity of, of European football in this country. There is a general uh, uh, kind of uh, fear of, of how many people are watching Real Madrid and Barcelona and watching the Premier League uh, and watching games that have no American players and no real kind of domestic import. And there is a, a there's a contempt of that, but there's also a fear. And I think there's also a doubling down on a narrative that we're making progress against that. MLS is better than you think it is. Uh, although, you know, these CONCACAF qualifiers, I don't think necessarily show weakness in MLS. There have been a lot of mm-hmm. players uh, in MLS who've done quite quite well. Just a lot of them aren't playing for the U.S., right? Yeah. Um, and... and um, how um, how also I think American soccer writers, Chris, watch the game. And, I, and I'm really I'm, I'm sorry I'm say about this. What, I'm going to say what I'm about to say. It's conver- it's part of a conversation I've had with several journalists through the years, recent years here. I think a lot of American soccer writers are good reporters. They're really good at breaking stories. They're really good at writing match reports and telling you what happened. Uh, you know, who scored the goals, uh, who got the red cards, etc. You know, producing that, getting team news before games, uh, 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 kind of being a beat writer, right? Mm-hmm. Like a trained newspaper beat writer. Yeah. I don't think many of them are really, uh, and there are very notable exceptions. I'm not going to get into names on the in, in this the discussion, but I think a lot of them don't really understand the sport and what they're watching and like and the complexities of, of tactics and some of the changes that have to be made on the fly in games and 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 really how abject the product is at times the U.S. is putting out there and how it would compare to similar products around the world and don't know how to analyze the way Costa Rica has play, played. Now, now they're playing this way still, but they, this has started under Pinto uh, in the 2014 cycle and how 
they use their personnel uh, and, and how that, that comes up against the tactic that Arena set out uh, to play on Friday night in that game. There just isn't enough drilling deep and understanding uh, what a guy like Kellen Acosta, who's a central midfielder, who's supposed to be protecting and complementing Michael Bradley's skill set. There isn't enough of an analysis of what that guy is not doing because they don't want to pick on him. He's a young MLS guy. He's a poster, one of the poster childs for Major League Soccer now. So then the blame falls on Michael Bradley, right? Michael Bradley just isn't very good. Michael Bradley has regressed. Well, yeah, I think he has regressed since coming to MLS, but I don't think he's regressed nearly as much as the narrative kind of tells us at this point. Um, there are just basic tactical things that, and I, I get on English journalists all the time, but these things wouldn't fall through the cracks in the English media. Chris, yeah, they certainly don't fall through the cracks in the German, Spanish, and Italian, especially the Italian media. It, it's it's getting it's getting to a point where I think they're just a lot of people who who they're they're they may not consciously be company men, but in reality they are. Yeah, I, I was just thinking too, Kartik, in terms of um, some of the like it's, it's two different skill sets. So if you have a journalist who who understands uh, who's got a journalism degree, you mean understands how to write and, and interview and all that stuff, uh, and then you have somebody that has um, a lot of intelligent knowledge of soccer. Uh, you mean has seen the game and understands kind of different levels of the game from the coach's perspective, the player's perspective, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the two different skill sets, and it's very hard to find people that have those in one i mean i look to michael cox and jonathan wilson as two people that uh, are very nerdy in many ways but have it to uh, i mean the nth degree in terms of uh, being really specialized in that area i can't think of anyone in the u.s that has that type of analysis that can really um, read a game and talk intelligently uh, at a high level uh, maybe gab marcotti but gab's more I mean, he's based in the UK, um, so but 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 a different type of reporter than again. Sports Illustrated had one, and I can't remember his name. And he he was, um, I, I believe, from Romanian descent, and essentially got run out by U.S. soccer because he was getting he was being critical of U.S. the national team in terms of I think tactics and the way they were setting up. And um, eventually, I just said it's, it's also just not the tactics of the coach. I, sh- I have to point this out. Uh-huh. It is the tactical naivety and positional sense of most of the American players you see on this national team. I would say that the only two exceptions on this team right now are Michael Bradley and Josie Altador. I think the rest of the guys are, 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 are and, you know, uh, Jeff Cameron, maybe. Uh, I think Pulisic. the rest of the guys have no positional sense. They're not tactically aware enough or sharp enough to play at this level. It's not just technical. It's not just about coaching. It's not just about motivation. There are some guys who fundamentally are not skilled enough in their in their sense of positioning on the soccer pitch during a, a, a match yeah. uh, of the caliber of the Costa Rica game. Honduras much slower match, but Costa Rica game to actually um, uh, function. Now, actually, Altador and Bradley are both in MLS, so it's not a shot at MLS. It's a shot at the U.S. development system and the way we teach the game in this right. country. Yeah, I mean, Pula says you have to include in there too in terms of his positional sense. He doesn't and, uh, know yet. He doesn't know yet, but he'll be. He'll get but, there. But but it, but it seems it comes naturally almost to him. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I mean, going back to what we said though too. I mean, I mean, so you look at say Michael Cox and Jonathan Wilson. There was one guy with uh, SI.com, and I forgot his name, but he got run out of of the business essentially because I think he quit. Twitter, he quit uh, journalism, I believe, just because he was getting such a tough time from a lot of the, the critics that were uh, being very critical of him for, for speaking out about um, these these topics. But for the most part, you look at you know, the Grant Walls of the world. I mean, there are more 
I mean, he just signed a contract with, uh, re- renewed his contract with Fox Sports. They're more kind of your feature type of article type of guy. He's not going to be, well, he will be critical at times on Twitter, but uh, he, he's, I mean, it's self-serving for him to basically go ahead and promote the U.S. national team because that promotes uh, Fox Sports coverage of that. Um, so, you I mean, it, it benefits him, too, in terms of people tuning in to watch uh, Fox Sports and, and have him talk about uh, MLS during UEFA Champions League uh, halftime or pre-match. But, I mean, that, that, that's the thing, though, too. I think U.S. soccer media as a whole are specialists in asking softball questions and not asking those tough difficult, hard questions. And it just seems to be a very special relationship between the press um, and the U.S. Soccer Federation set up in the United States, um, where it's you, you have to play the game. You have to play play by the rules. Um, don't be overly critical. Um, don't ask those tough questions. Otherwise, you might have your access uh, pulled or credentials pulled. And, and I think it's one of those things that it really fosters a relationship where that's one of the reasons that we get a very rosy uh, picture from the, whether it's Fox or, or sometimes ESPN or being sports or the U.S. soccer media themselves is because they're just trying to maintain that relationship with the U.S. Or national team. Or they don't understand what they're watching in a lot of cases. Look, yeah. Kellen Acosta, I mean, I've, I've been hearing people rave about him for a long time. Uh, Matt Hedges is another one. I've heard people rave, rave about people who know, I think, a fair amount about soccer and know an awful lot about MLS. These guys aren't ready for the international level. Um, I, I watched uh, Acosta on the Honduras game. He, he, there is criticism of Michael Bradley, and a lot of it is warranted. But so much of the criticism of Michael Bradley comes because the guys he's partnered with on the U.S. team are generally MLS players or, or guys who haven't been that successful who just don't get positioning. Don't um, and, and part of that comes from the coach and, and all of that. I think uh, a Darlington Nagby is a mismatch with Michael Bradley, but you don't get this level of analysis. Mm-hmm. Is my point. I mean, well, I could go through all the the different player scenarios, but I'm not going to. I, again, I think there are very few American players that are tactically savvy enough to to, to be at the level of the guys Raymond mentioned earlier, the Reynas, the Johnny O'Briens, uh, the Landon Donovans. But we don't get that level of analysis. What we get is the young players are constantly getting better in this country look at what the mls academies are doing look at what uh, the players usl and nasl are producing well look at all we have a much deeper and stronger player pool than we've ever had before that's bunk okay maybe we have a hundred guys who are playing at a certain level and we used to only have 50 but the top 20 of that 50 10 years ago was better than they are now Mm -hmm. there's no question about that if you're objective about it but the the tv networks and the print journalists who cover u.s soccer are really not uh, they don't have the autonomy, I feel, and it's not a written rule, but it's an unwritten rule. They don't have the autonomy to actually make this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes too, I mean, I mean, for the TV side of things, they don't even have the time. I mean, they have, I mean, Ronaldo might get 20 seconds to analyze uh, the weaknesses of a, of a U.S. team against whoever they play against. And in 20 seconds, I mean, I mean, by the time you start that topic, you mean your time's up, and he moves on right to the to the next uh, person, to Friedel or Lalas or something that talks right over you. But 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 that's the thing, though, too. I think um, it's a vicious circle because by Fox or I mean, which which will be Fox for the next uh, World Cup if the U.S. makes it, which I'll get to in a minute. But um, it's a vicious circle because they're going to be positive. You mean Lalas last week, I think on, was it 4-4-2, said that the, the U.S. national team is, is capable of winning a World Cup. Um, it's a very rosy, very positive um, standpoint. And it feeds Have they in... watched one Germany game? They realize the standard? 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Germany's like light years ahead of of, of, any, of anyone, <laughs> I mean, not just US. Well, yeah, right. But the German C team would beat the United States without much of a problem. Right? Have they watched? Okay, Germany's a is an extreme example. Have they watched any of these European qualifiers? Have they watched? Uh, and I know I beat up on them through the years, but have they watched Roberto Martinez's Belgium team? And they somehow think the U.S. would beat that team. Mano Imano. Have they watched even? Uh, have they even watched Northern Ireland? I mean, that, that's that's. Uh, have they watched Croatia? No. I think again, these assumptions are being made because they're not watching anyone mm-hmm. other than Mexico. They watch Mexico and they watch the United States and they make assumptions based on that yeah. and what they feel like they have to say. I don't think, and maybe they watch England and see how bad England is. That might be the other other yeah. uh, example of this. And, but, a, and, a, and that's a poor measuring stick to look at in terms of you know yeah. how, how you kind of think of the, the rest of Europe uh, at that level, which. Which is not so. So yeah, I, I, Look, they haven't even been watching Costa Rica. Costa Rica has been the best national team in Concacaf for uh, the last five years. Yet coming into this uh, this qualifier, we, we didn't even talk about the pre, pre the lead up to Friday. I'm going to mention it really briefly here. There was such an disrespect or contempt, I would even say, for Costa Rica and their accomplishments uh, in the in the print media, not necessarily on Fox or ESPN, which was basically, eh, you know, Costa Rica, they're ahead of the U.S., but the U.S. got off to a tough start because of Klinsman, right? It's all Klinsman's fault. Mm-hmm. And, um, and basically, this is at home. Uh, the U.S. always wins its home qualifiers. Costa Rica hasn't won here since 1985. It'll be a walk. That was the implication. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. no real analysis of how Costa Rica plays, why they were a quarterfinalist in the last World Cup and really outplayed the Dutch. They should have been the semifinals. Right. Uh, there was no uh, taught why they had a strong qualifying campaign, even though they, they had a bit of a wobble here in the middle until this U.S. game. Uh, there was not, no analysis of that, really. I mean, yeah. there were a few pieces here and there, but for the most part, no, it wasn't there. Plus, plus I, I think everyone forgets that, I mean, their goalkeeper plays for Real Madrid. So you mean, <laughs> right, right, right. That's the most obvious thing. Right. Uh, they, have, they have a guy on their team starting for Real Madrid who has won two UEFA Champions League titles. And, and he's playing against the United States who has uh, Pulisic at Dortmund, and that's that's about it, as far as big clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah I, I, I mean, I really think that the the, uh, the U.S. soccer media. I mean, I, I'm, we are tough on the U.S. men's national team because we want to see it improve and succeed. Um, but I think really that the, the TV networks and the, the soccer media. I heard the comparison about how Navas and uh, Timmy Howard in his prime were comparable goalkeepers, and I, I again love Tim Howard. I think he, he did a lot to advance the cause of American uh, soccer players in uh, in, in England. After uh, Casey Keller, John Harkes, uh, Brad Friedel, and others had opened the door, but uh, I watched a lot of Everton. I watch a lot of Everton, which I think everybody realizes. And uh, no, he's not a he has never been a Keylor Navas level goalkeeper. Yeah, the the fact of the matter though, uh, Kartik, is that um, I mean it's crazy in terms of the Concacaf group. So the U.S. could finish in fourth. Uh, in a group of six, and still qualify for the World Cup through a playoff. This is Burley's point, by the way. Yeah, it's a huge point. So, so, so I mean, look, look at Wales, for example. So, Wales is in a group of six. Uh, the other teams in the group are Austria, Ireland, Serbia, Georgia, and Moldova. Now, Wales right this second is in second place. If they finish in seconds, they have to go through a, a playoff game, which would be against a team. It could be Italy, it could be Portugal, or it could be another heavyweight. But out of the nine groups in Europe that are trying to qualify for the World Cup, only eight of those uh, groups, um, the second place team in, in eight of those groups will actually qualify. 
uh, to, to go into the playoffs. And right this second, out of those nine groups, uh, those second place teams in those nine groups, Wales would be left out. So even if Wales finishes uh, second in their group against, you mean, with teams like Austria, mm-hmm. Ireland, Georgia, Serbia, and Moldova, they wouldn't even make it to the playoffs and wouldn't even be able to make it through to the World Cup uh, that way. And even if they, they do... Have, they have a guy who starts for Real Madrid and a guy who starts for Arsenal, by the way. On right, team. right. And so, so even if they do make it into one of those, those final eight uh, playoff spots, they still may, may have to go up against Italy or Portugal or somebody or, or else. How about Northern Ireland? Talk about the British Isles. They have won five successive games in qualifying. They have 19 points. The U.S. has not won. I may be wrong about this, but I don't think the U.S. has won successive qualifying games this entire cycle. Uh, yet they might make, they have, they have a better chance of making the World Cup than Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland will finish second in their group. They will probably make that playoff. They're in a group with Germany. They've won five successive games, and they have a dip, more difficult road from this moment onward to the World Cup than the United States does, who have not won consecutive games in this entire qualifying, uh, in, this, in this entire phase of qualifying. And, and, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, I mean, the U.S. has this huge safety net. Uh, I mean, where, where there's other better footballing teams around the world that don't have that. So the U.S. has a huge safety net, which uh, gives them a huge opportunity to still qualify for the World Cup. And it, I mean, really where we're at in terms of, I mean, the U.S. was six minutes away from losing against Honduras, which have been, even with a defeat, they still might have gone through. But still, getting that that draw is vital. Yeah, um, Honduras is really bad. The U.S. was going to finish third or fourth regardless, even if they lost that game. They, Honduras is is terrible. Yeah, they wouldn't finish in there. I don't. I think the top four are set. It's just a matter of whether Panama's third or the U.S. is third and gets the automatic spot. You know, Mexico and Costa Rica one and two. It is very easy. The yeah. Concacaf qualifying process is very forgiving, and I think. It's, it's a situation where, from a commercial standpoint, you have a confederation that has consistently put money and, and, and making money over sporting competition. We talked about this during the summer with the Gold Cup, the fact that we have Gold Cups every two years, the, the, the fact that we uh, always have the Gold Cup in the United States and it never moves, the fact that they figured out a way to get a game against the U.S. versus Mexico to generate even more revenue to, to determine who goes to the Confederations Cup, the Confederations Cup, not the world cup the confederation mm-hmm. cup they had a playoff for that no other confederation would do that this is a confederation that has consistently put financial um profit above sporting merit and sporting competition therefore you have this hexagonal which guarantees basically guarantees the u.s and mexico make the world cup we're talking about the u.s right now what about mexico four years ago there's no reason they should have made the world cup given how they perform and they wouldn't have in any other confederation and basically it guarantees two U.S.-Mexico games and, and, and the revenues from those games. Compare this to Africa, where it's really a crapshoot. You could end up in the wrong group and have no chance of making the World Cup. Poor Bob Bradley learned this with Egypt. I mean, he had had the forgivingness of CONCACAF, although I think his cycle went much better than Klinsman's or Arena's. Remember, Arena had a hard time qualifying. The time the U.S. got to the quarterfinals, the U.S. almost didn't qualify for the World Cup. Let's not forget that. Mm-hmm. In, uh, uh, if if they had been going through another region, they wouldn't have made it. Um, in Africa, you could have a situation like Bradley at Egypt where he excels in qualifying, but then because of the way they've set it up that time, they get a blind playoff draw. Lo and behold, they get drawn against Ghana at the height of Ghana's powers. Um, best team in Africa at the time. Maybe uh, Cote d'Ivoire was close. Uh, it's, it's a, and you look at the African groups, even for this World Cup qualifying uh, cycle, you see uh, – 
strong nations that could make an impression in a World Cup in Russia next summer that were grouped in with other strong nations and therefore won't be making the trip. Uh, it's it's uh, and I've heard people actually defend CONCACAF saying, well, half of the South uh, South American Confederation, half of their teams go to the World Cup and they group them all together. Isn't that just as easy? Please. <laughs> I mean, again, you just know the difference in quality between between Honduras and uh, Honduras, who's not going to make a World Cup, and uh, Peru, who's not going to make a World Cup, right? Or yeah. Ecuador, who's not gonna, probably not going to make the World Cup. There's just it's not it's not even a, a worth having the conversation. Yeah, I think I think the bottom line is that uh, the U.S. has it easy in many ways, not only in terms of uh, qualifying out of the Concacaf group into the World Cup, but in terms of the way that uh, they're treated by the media, uh, whether it's television uh, and or um, the written press too. So. Uh, but uh, anyway, it's frustrating, but it is one of those things that at least we can see through it and, and see the light. Kartik, um where can listeners find you on the internet, uh, especially over the next few days with all these uh, weather updates and, uh, and soccer news? KKFLA737 on Twitter. All right. And then thanks for listening, guys. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast uh, every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, what should they do? Enjoy your football. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.